It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 274, December 4th, 2011, in which we find an inexpensive solution for video editing, and we learn that Facebook is unfair and deceptive, but says it'll be better. You may give or receive a camera that records video during the upcoming holiday season. In addition to video cameras, many digital cameras, even SLRs, include the ability to record video. What comes out of that camera may bore your friends or amuse them. It's up to you. Raw video, the stuff that comes out of the camera, is usually boring even if you're an Academy Award-winning director. Editing is everything, and you have lots of choices. Adobe Premiere for about $800. Adobe Premiere Elements, $125. And Magic's Movie Edit Pro, $70 to $130 are some of the choices. We've looked previously at Premiere and Premiere Elements, so let's take a look at Magic's Movie Edit Pro. If you're a producer of professional videos who needs time code and other high-end features, this is not the application you're looking for. But if you're creating videos for use on your or your relative's televisions, this could be exactly what you want. The basic $70 application includes a surprising number of features, including 32 tracks for picture and sound, full high-definition video support, audio dubbing, menu design for the discs you create, and the ability to output video to file, DVD, Blu-ray, YouTube, and more. The $100 Plus version increases the track count from 32 to 99 and adds stereo support, multi-cam functionality, and support for Dolby Digital 5.1 soundtracks. This is the version I tested. For $130, you also receive Red Giant Magic Bullet Quick Looks, New Blue FX Light Blends, and Pro DAD Vitacene 2 Magic's Edition. These extras have a reported retail value of $300. Magix provides an amazing demo with the application. It uses only 14 tracks, so it's well within the capabilities of the basic $70 application. You'll find a link to the demo on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You can either watch it locally streamed on the TechBiter Worldwide website, or you can follow a link to Vimeo and watch it there. U.S. Vice President Thomas R. Marshall is reported to have said to a Senate clerk, what this country needs is a really good five-cent cigar. Marshall was vice president from 1913 to 1921 during Woodrow Wilson's presidency. What that has to do with the price of salami in Harlem is this. Just about everyone has a camera of some sort that captures video, but not everybody is willing to spend $1,000 to buy a video editing application or to spend the time needed to learn how to use it. Thus, enter Magic's Movie Edit Pro. The basic application's 32-track limitation, if you can call 32 tracks a limitation, is unimportant because most people will never really need 32 tracks. So that means the $70 application may be sufficient. Well, here's what I did to test it. I grabbed a still camera that can capture motion video and pointed it at the cats. Of course, they were handy. As with most video editing applications, you have a choice of scenes or timeline. The scenes view is a good choice when you're dropping film clips into the project. It's video, of course, not film these days, but we still call it film clips. 
Once you have the various scenes in order, it's a good idea to switch to the timeline view so you can trim both ends of the video as needed, move scenes, and add transition effects. Movie Edit Pro comes with a huge array of transition effects, but an important point to keep in mind is that cuts are almost always the right choice. Fades indicate a break in the timeline, and those fancy effects, well, they should be reserved for the times when they're appropriate. In other words, don't use a tumble transition unless you know why a tumble transition is appropriate. And by the way, in most cases, it won't be appropriate. I uploaded my basic minute and a half cut only edit to Vimeo, and you can watch it either on Vimeo or watch it streaming on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And I did that upload direct from inside Movie Edit Pro. That was pretty cool. What's remarkable about this is not the lousy video or the boring subject, but the fact that it took me less than 10 minutes to cut these pieces of video together. I started out with several clips of Percy, he's an orange cat, and Chloe, the multicolor cat. All of the Chloe segments were together, and so were all those with Percy. Well, I wanted to alternate between the two, so I trimmed off the parts I didn't want and shuffled them around. And again, keep in mind, this took me about 10 minutes. The transitions are all just basic, simple cuts because there was no good reason to use any of the more distinctive transitions. Fancy transitions are useful when you need them, so I re-edited the file and added some transitions that make absolutely no sense at all for this video. And once again, you can watch it on the Vimeo website or on the TechBiter Worldwide website. There's also an option to export video for use on a DVD or a portable device. Now, I've described only the basics of what this application is capable of doing. Be sure to watch the first video on the program. That's the demo that comes from the manufacturer. And watch for effects such as image adjustment, picture-in-picture, -picture, titling, transitions, sound effects or foley work, and the music track. It's pretty amazing. The bottom line for Magic's Movie Edit Pro, five cats. Yes, video and easy can be in the same sentence. Video editing isn't something that most people consider to be easy or inexpensive. But Movie Edit Pro makes it clear that these capabilities can coexist and coexist quite nicely in a single application. The Federal Trade Commission says Facebook is unfair and deceptive. Facebook has accepted the accusations by the FTC and will now respect the privacy wishes of its users. In addition to that, Facebook has agreed to allow the FTC to conduct regular privacy audits for the next 20 years. The case began in 2009 when Facebook, without warning its users, made public information that users had stored on Facebook but had indicated that it was not to be shared publicly. The other problems came to light during the investigation, including the ability of Facebook advertisers to obtain personally identifiable information about users. That meant that advertisers had access to information about, oh, 800 million or so people worldwide. The FTC also charged that even deleting an account wouldn't protect users from having their information shared because Facebook retained photos and videos from those deleted accounts. Facebook faced a total of eight complaints by the FTC. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg said the actions were mistakes. The FTC did not claim that the violations were intentional, and it levied no fines against Facebook. However, if Facebook violates the terms of the settlement, it could be fined $16,000 per day for each violation. The settlement means that Facebook must obtain, and I quote here, affirmative express consent 
before it can change the way any information is shared. Facebook has annoyed users many times in the past few years by unilaterally changing the operating characteristics of the service, and often the complaints have dealt with privacy issues. Although the head of the Electronic Privacy Information Center, Mark Rottenberg, said the FTC order was a good first step, he noted that a federal law to protect consumer privacy is still needed. The timing of this latest Facebook trouble could hardly have come at a worse time. The company is preparing for an initial public stock offering, and if investors are skeptical about the company's ability to make money, the stock price will be lower than it might otherwise have been. It's generally expected that the IPO will generate about $100 billion. In short circuits, here's something kind of off-subject. I use a reading lamp on a shelf above the bed. It's probably about 50 years old, and the push-button switch in the base finally wore out. Actually, it still worked. I could turn the lamp on with three pushes and turn it off with a single push. But I decided it was time to replace it. So I took off the base and removed the switch. Because it's an old lamp, access was easy. Remove two screws and allow the base to drop off. Unscrew two wire nuts holding the wires together. Grab a pair of pliers to loosen the knurled nut holding the switch in place. Total time, about 60 seconds. When I moved to Worthington many years ago, the stagecoaches weren't still running, but it wasn't too long after that. When I moved to Worthington, I thought the Worthington Hardware Store was fabulous. It always had anything I needed. Worthington Hardware is an old place with wooden floors that creak. Over the years, the mega stores arrived, the ones that take half an hour to drive to, ten minutes to walk in from the parking lot, and an hour to find what you're looking for. The little hardware store has become smaller, and the employees are younger, and there are fewer of them. But they still know where things are, and they're still friendly. And the store still smells like a hardware store. So that's where I went for the replacement switch. Total time, portal to portal, was about 20 minutes, and that includes the time I spent not finding the switch the first time I walked through the electrical area. Back home, I unpacked the switch, installed it, hooked up the wires, and plugged in the lamp. Eh, another two minutes or so. I don't know if this switch is good for another 50 years, but that's probably something that should not concern me. I do know this, though. Every technology problem should be this easy to solve. Oh, the light bulb that's in the lamp? It's an LED device. Puts out 351 lumens at 80% color accuracy. That's the equivalent of about a 40-watt standard incandescent light bulb. But instead of using 40 watts, the LED bulb uses only 8 so my antique lamp has one of the world's most modern light bulbs. Short Circuits this week is all about minutia. TechBiter Worldwide now has its own IP address, 67.222.41.89. If you have a website and it's not being served from a computer that you control physically, it probably has a shared IP address. Most hosting services have one IP address for all of their clients or for all of the clients that share a particular server. Normally, this is okay, but there are some reasons to consider having your own address. If you plan to sell anything via your website, you'll want an SSL certificate, and that requires a static IP address that's assigned just to you. Now, I'm not planning to sell anything on the TechBiter Worldwide website, but there are other reasons to spend the $30 a year that that static IP address will cost you. A static IP address makes it possible to run server-based programs that require a dedicated IP address. 
You can run scripts that are not permitted on shared IP systems. And your host may be willing to open ports that cannot safely be opened in a shared IP environment. Spam is a concern that having your own IP address will not alleviate. Many people think that obtaining a dedicated IP address means your email will be sent from that address. In most cases, this is not the case. If you use your hosting service to send email, you will still share the sending IP address with all other clients whose accounts are hosted on that machine. This is one reason why it may still be better to receive mail through your web hosting service and to send mail through your internet service provider. So there was really no single overarching reason for me to make the switch, but overall the advantages of a dedicated IP address I concluded are worth the annual $30 fee. Hey Google, how do I get from the kitchen to my bedroom? Things haven't gone quite that far, but Google Maps has started offering layouts of airports and malls. Originally, Google offered just maps and directions on how to get from A to B, then came views at street level and agreements with some transit systems to provide times and routes for using mass transit. Now this. The TechBiter Worldwide website has a little video clip from Google that explains how this interior mapping works. Now, there is, however, a catch. Two, actually. First, Google's indoor maps work only on Android devices. There's a pretty good chance that if you don't have an Android device, you will have one someday soon. Something like half a million Android devices are activated every day. There's no word on when, if ever, indoor maps will be available for Apple devices. Second, not many malls, airports, or transit centers have allowed Google to access their floor plans so far. To be included, the building's owners must submit the plans. But that'll probably happen, and most likely sooner rather than later. Google really would like you to buy an Android device. The redesigned 2012 TechBiter Worldwide website will appear on the 1st of January, 2012. Usually there are no programs the weeks of Christmas and New Year's, but this year it's a little bit different. I'll still be off Christmas week, but back in the saddle on New Year's Day. This year's biggest changes are in the background as HTML5 powers the pages. The change isn't going to be retroactive, because changing nearly a thousand archived pages would be a huge job. And I think it's not a bad idea to retain those old pages looking the way they did many years ago as reminders of what we once had to do to create pages that worked on multiple browsers. Over the years, the site has become narrower and then wider. In the old days, I didn't know enough to limit the width, but that was okay because most people were using screens that were just 640 pixels wide. Eventually, I dropped down to a width of 600 pixels, stayed there for several years, and increased to around 800. In January, the width will increase again, this time to 1,000 pixels. Most people have monitors these days that are at least 1,024 pixels wide, and many have far wider monitors, or multiple monitors. I'll outline all of the changes on that January 1st program. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.